how long could it take you to ruin your life? How long would it take any person to completely destroy their marriage, their business, their whole life, everything to fall apart? One year? Two years? No. One second. That's all. The wrong decision, the wrong turn, right? And that could be a financial decision, and goodness knows there's enough about that. I actually worked with a guy once who made a bad decision financially, and it ruined his life. Now, he didn't lose a, a massive fortune, a lot of money. It was all he had. So for him, it was like the end of the world, you know? But one decision, one wrong decision, is enough to change you permanently, right? Decisions are massively important. Financial decisions, career choices, relationship decisions, marriage decisions. These things are, to say crucial is an understatement. We've got to get big decisions right. And as you look back on your life, and as I look back on mine, I'm sure we're all probably in the same boat. I look, you know, wisdom is always seen in hindsight, right? As I look back over my life, I think, gosh, I could kick myself for some of the things I've done. Being so stupid. Why didn't I see that? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen? And I don't want to be a wise old man. I want to be a wise middle-aged man. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to leave everything till later. I need to listen right now. You know what the Bible says about wisdom? It says that wisdom is the principal thing. It's the top thing. Wisdom is the principal thing for you to have in life. Because when we have that, it can govern all other things. Another thing the Bible says about wisdom is it says, get it. Get it? <laughs> get it. Go get it. It's something we're going to have to extract from the Bible. It's something we have to do work to get. Now, you know these guys? Cannon and Ball. Praise God, they're both born again now. Both got saved. Fantastic testimony. This is a couple of comedians. Some of you will know them. Some of you won't. Called Cannon and Ball. And they used to have a catchphrase. Catchphrase was funny. They used to say, I might be thick, but I'm not stupid. Praise the Lord. And there's a truth in there. Because you could be clever, but you might not be wise. You could be very smart, but still not wise. And again, hey, there's loads of people who are very smart in this area or that area. But actually, if you take their whole life into consideration... They're not actually wise. And that's the point. You may well be smart. You may well be clever. But you can't call yourself wise or see yourself as wise or be wise until you look at a person's whole being. Right? See, my dad, I think of my father. Was he clever? No. Was he smart? No. Was he wise? Absolutely. Oh, he's very, very, very wise. And some people are absolute masters in one area but fools in another. So you couldn't call them wise. So you think of yourself, think how, how you are. See, this great big Bible of ours here has got many different parts to it. It's got the historical books that look back and tell us about our history, our forefathers. And got the prophetic books that look forward and tell us what's coming up. But it's also got in here the, the wisdom literature. Three principal books by Solomon. Song of Songs, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. 
and they're, they're full of you know, promises to us about the way that we should live our lives. So over these next few months, actually, we're going to take a look at the roots of biblical wisdom. Do you know if you go to Waterstones or any, any worldly bookshop, ordinary bookshop, you will find a plethora of books on self-help, on improving your life in every area, right? That's where they're getting their stuff from. <laughs> the origin of, of most of this stuff is simply biblical. We need to start the subject as we look at wisdom. It's a bit like wisdom for dummies, you know. We need to start very at a very basic level, as Proverbs does. And in the book of Proverbs, Solomon covers relationships. He covers marriage. He covers how to raise your kids. Covers your spiritual life. He covers health, what you eat. I'm going to call that week wisdom for tummies. Praise the Lord. And then we're going to do motherhood. That's wisdom for mummies. Praise God. <laughs> he goes through all the different aspects of your life. Your speech. How you handle your money. Even politics. So if we try to get through life without this, we may succeed in a way. But it won't be the biblical type of success. Right there at the beginning of Proverbs, it says this. If you follow these instructions, then from your life, you will produce good success. Good success. And that tells us there's a bad success, right? You can go all the way through. And it's a very sad thing to me to find people in old age who are disappointed with what they've done. That's awful. It's horrible. People, you know, and getting on in years and they regret, regret, regret that they never quite got with it in the midst of their lives. You know, let's not let that happen. If there's good success that we can enter into through biblical wisdom, then there's bad success out there. A guy called Stephen Covey puts it like this. He says, many people spend their lives ascending the career ladder only to get to the top of that ladder and find that it's leaning against the wrong wall. And they don't want to be here. I've done all these decades of work, of endeavor, of pursuit to end up in a place I don't want to be, a bit like the prodigal son. After all that, I actually don't want this. And wisdom is the only way that we can avoid that. And we can't, we've got no excuse because it's right there in your hand. It's in your Bible. And it's just extracting that and getting it out. As I said, there's three principal books. Now, for those of you at home, we did a series called What's Love Got to Do With It? And in that series, we looked at the, principally the book of Song of Songs where Solomon tells us the wisdom concerning love, okay? And at that time of his life, he was a younger man. He wrote that book, and he goes through it from, you know, do not awaken love before its appointed time, etc., etc. But Solomon's life didn't stop there. After Song of Songs, Solomon went on to write the book of Proverbs. And now he's an older man. He's a married man. He has children. And in the book of Proverbs, he starts to teach uh, his son, actually. He says, son, listen to my wisdom, right? How to be a good father. And it's different types of advice because he's an older man. And then eventually he wrote Ecclesiastes. And in this, he's really the, the wise old philosopher. So you meet, in reading the books, you almost could think it was three different people. <laughs> they, they reckon that in the course of any marriage, your partner will be three different people. 
well, I broke that in the first week, love. I think I was about 10 people in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> you will turn into three different people over the course of your married life. And I guess this right here follows that suggestion through because Solomon is a very different person in Song of Songs. He's a young man. It's all about love. It's all about falling in love, and that's what Song of Songs does. Then he gets married. <laughs> Proverbs. <laughs> right? He's changed. Decades have gone by and he's a different man. And that's what you find in Proverbs. He makes loads of mistakes. So that by the time we get to Ecclesiastes, we find him in his latter years saying, Hey guys, listen to your father's wisdom. Listen to this. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to follow him through and see where he goes. Now as, as I've surveyed these three books... I was impressed with one particular thing. One thing jumped out at me as a place. I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I, I need to seek wisdom. I need wisdom for life. Where do I start? And I'm looking through Solomon's life, what did Solomon do? And I found one scripture that just spells it out to a T. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Solomon, son of David, established himself. Established himself firmly over his kingdom. And it began with him, you see. Remember what we said about Adam. Adam needed to become the right person, but never did. Solomon sorted himself out. Solomon knew that the, the issues lay within him. And that's where Proverbs really comes from. He accepted that he was deficient. He accepted that there were problems about him that needed to be addressed. Solomon established himself. God had his, his own life sorted out. And I think that's the place where he wasn't a humanist. You know, humanists, the basic premise of humanism is this, that mankind is basically good. And it's the world that makes them bad. Well, Proverbs is exactly the reverse. It tells us that actually humankind is basically bad. And we need a lot of advice, wise advice, to make us be good, to guide us all right. Amen? So let's follow his advice. Another thing about the book, Solomon establishes himself first, firmly. And another thing about the book of Proverbs that jumps off the page at you is this. The centrality of men. That God never changes, even in the New Testament, it doesn't change. God is looking for men to be leaders. Now next week we're going to look at women, particularly this week we're looking at manhood. But there's almost like a, a, a presumption in the book of Proverbs, which is this, that if God can get the men right, then the women will be a lot happier. If God can get the men right, then the church will be okay. If God can get the men right, then the children will have good fathers. And over and over and over again, you see that wisdom is chasing that man, trying to change that man, right? Now, some of you know this church, some of you won't at home. Let me tell you, we have a lot of strong women leaders. And I have worked with strong women all my life. I have zero problem working with women. We've got some excellent women preachers, teachers in this church. Amen. 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 <laughs> right? It's not a problem. It's not a problem to me anyway. I know many people have a bit of a hang-up with that. I don't. We've got some fantastic leaders here who are female. Let me tell you something, gals. No matter how good a leader you are, you're still not a man, okay? You can do what you do, and you do what you do very well. But no matter how hard some, and I'm not saying all here by any means, but some women almost seem to try very hard to be a, a, a man. 
And I promise you, no matter how hard you try, you're still not a man. <laughs> you're still a woman. And from, from early days in ministry, because I work for a, an Asian church, it's a church based in Singapore, and I've worked for them 17 years. So most of my leaders have been Asian, and also a lot of them have been female. And so for, for a lot of years, I've seen so much pain in women that I, I wanted to help. I'm fed up of seeing women being destroyed by having pressure put on them that they shouldn't have on them because the men are not doing their job. And all the women said, Amen! Amen. Shh! He's beside you! But it's true. It's not good. It's not good, is it? Take a look at this lady. Now, no problem. We got short hair, briefcase, suit. What else you want? You know... Prior to the 1960s, you would never have seen a woman dressed like this going to work. It just would have been unheard of. And then what happened is, you know, the whole 60s thing took place. And all of a sudden, th there was a pressure put on women that was undue. It was not right. Okay, now listen, gals, don't hear what I'm not saying. You want to have short hair? Fine, no problem. <laughs> My problem is this. I don't want a woman to feel forced that she has to have short hair when she doesn't want to. That's my problem. I don't want her to have to go in wearing a man's suit when she would prefer to wear a dress, right? Because that's not fair. And the truth is that many women feel that they have to be forced into something that they're not. And that's a lot of what the underlying current of the book of Proverbs is reaching in to get the man. We're going to cover this in a few weeks' time about what the Bible says about, you know, male leaders and how important that is for us to fulfill our job and everything else falls into place. So, one of the basic principles of the wisdom of the Bible, men are important. The men are important, right? And if God want, he wants to establish the men, then the homes are better, the marriages are better, the children are better, the church is better, and it's a statistical fact. You can't argue with facts. It's a statistical fact that over history, when women were strong in the church, they maintained it. But it was only at times, and you can study church history, you'll see it right there, only at times when the men stood up and became strong did the church ever move forward, right? So men still have a key, key role. So there's a fight on, there's a battle on in the world, men, for your energy. For your energy. The devil wants to feed your energy with every negative thing. Do you know there's more men in prison than women? There's more men in crime than women? More men on drugs than women? Because the devil feeds that energy, tries to take that and warp it and twist it to the world, right? And do great, great damage there too, right? Out there in this world. So you can see it loud and clear, the battle that is before us, indeed, before you. Where's your energy? Is all your energy lost? Proverbs talks about energy. Don't lose your energy. Keep it, hold it, and give it to God. Bring it in to the house and give it to God. So you can see the stages of growth that Solomon went through. In fact, there's stages that every man goes through. This week, we're looking at men. Next week, we're going to look at femalehood. So, but both weeks are important, no matter who you are. Ladies, you need to understand men, right? Is that possible? Yes. Amen. Lots of the grief in marriages, lots of it, it's because people don't take the time to understand or appreciate the differences in the sexes. So simple. But don't take the time. Don't appreciate 
that there's a need for us to understand the differences between male and female. So women, you need to listen. Listen with all your heart so that you understand men better and thus save yourself a lot of grief. And men, likewise, as we look at this, you need to analyze yourself and find out how your life is progressing. The man starts with what we'll call malehood. Now, just because you're born male doesn't mean you're a man in a biblical sense, right? Being male is something you didn't choose. You were just born and that was it. But being a man is a completely different thing. You can only be a man in the Bible terms of it by choice. And you can tell a man by his choices, right? We're made into a man through the things we do, through the way we behave, through our choices over a lifetime. It's a process. So just because you're male, malehood is the most basic step. It's when we're born and you just happen to be male, but that's got nothing to do with manhood. How do you identify someone then who's never become a man, really in a biblical way, they're just stuck in malehood. There's some characteristics that you can see very clearly that show that someone's just male and they've never advanced their lives in any way. The first one I would say is that men, males, sorry, tend to be independent and really show it, whereas women are very interdependent. It's just there's a different creation, really, you know, they're very different makeup. God made Adam. Right? And there's Adam. There he is. And he's an independent being. Badad. He wasn't sad to be alone. But the woman's a different thing. A softer thing, really. And she's interdependent. She needs relationship much more than the man does. And if you don't understand that, you can get lots of grief in your marriage, you know. <laughs> Let me give you an example to explain the differences here. This is just a fictitious example. It didn't happen. I'm just making it up. Let's say I'm downtown with Jeanette. We go into town very often when we go into Buchanan Street or something. We'll stand there and she's going shopping and I'm going to a different place. Sometimes we split up. Sometimes we stay together. So let's say we go downtown on Monday and we're standing at the top of Buchanan Street. And she says, so what are we going to do? Are we going to split up? Are you going or are we staying together? And I reply to her, I, I, I don't care. And she said, oh, you don't care? No, 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 I don't mean I don't care. You said you didn't care. You don't even care. With a, you see? Now, as a man, what I'm saying is, I'm an independent guy. It doesn't actually bother me. I don't care whether we go together. I don't mean any harm by that. I don't mean anything by it. But the woman can misread it and get hurt thinking you don't care. No, I didn't say I didn't care. I said I didn't care. Amen. You know what I mean. So... Just a little bit of understanding, a little bit of insight into malehood would save you a lot of grief over a marriage lifetime. Amen. Right? So you can see a man in that, first, his independent nature. Secondly, he's more inclined to feel that he should be served than he ever is to serve. It's just the way the man has been made. He's more inclined to feel that he's entitled to pass the buck. Now, you can justify all these statements, by the way. In Genesis chapter 2, you just follow the life of Adam and you will see him do all these things. I'll show you in a moment. Men have, it's, it's an inbuilt thing. Guys, listen. Listen, please. We have a tendency to pass the buck, especially onto our wives if we're married. Have a tendency to give someone else the responsibility, shirking responsibility. 
You can see these, Adam is an excellent example of malehood and everything that's wrong with it. Let me just give you a few points about Adam's life. First of all, God gives him authority, puts him in the garden, gives him a wife and says, you're in charge, look after it. Right? What does he do? Nothing. He's told to govern the garden. He knows full well there's a snake coming walking in. It's a snake had legs, right? Coming walking into his garden. And Adam doesn't do anything about that snake. Nothing. He's silent, shirking responsibility. And so many men are afraid of discipline. Disciplining their children. Discipline in any order. They just want to be the nice guy. Right? And that's no good because it's specifically put upon Adam to govern that garden. So first, he, you can see evidently there that he shirked his responsibility. The next thing is even worse. Not only is there a snake in the garden, but Adam lets the snake talk to his wife. How stupid is that? That's bad. We had this creep in, in a church we were in. <laughs> I won't say who. Oh, he used to annoy me and he was chasing our James, our stepson, you know. And he was, I said, he's going to take him fishing. Fishing? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then he was, you know, going after Jeanette all the time. And I remember I, I sort of chased him off, if you know what I mean. He didn't come back for a few months. Clear off! Get away! And because you're the protector, right? You're the protector of your wife. You're protector of that woman. So was Adam. So, hello, Adam. You let the snake walk in, then you let the snake talk to your wife. This is not going very well, is it? No, it's not. Adam is showing himself to be the typical male, typical male, who wants to shirk responsibility. Then he goes on to be a father. And they start to have children, and you can read the whole account of how they did that. But does he look after the kids? No. They ended up killing each other, Cain and Abel. And you know the sad thing when you read the account in Genesis of Adam's fatherly nature? It's not there. You've got these two boys who are obviously fighting and fighting and it's getting worse and worse and one ends up killing the other. There's not one word about Adam's intervention. Not a word, not a single word. He just lets the thing carry on. In fact, after Genesis and after the fall, we only hear of Adam a few times and it's in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4 verse 1, it says that Adam knew Eve. You know what that means? He had sex with Eve and they had a child. It says in Genesis 4, remember, he hasn't looked after the garden. He hasn't looked after his wife. Right? Now here he is in the garden. He hasn't looked after his children. Oh, but he can have sex, all right. Typical male. He, in Genesis 4 verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve and had a child. In Genesis 4 verse 25, he says, he knew her again. And they had another child. And then in Genesis 4 verse 17, he knew her again. And they had another one. You know? So as a man, as a male, sorry, he's getting one thing right. Amen? Amen. So do hamsters. <laughs> he's not the biblical man. Right? He's not the biblical man. He's failing in every... That's malehood. He's failing in all the areas of his responsibility except one which he is obviously pursuing, and that's not good. Amen. Men are very quiet. <laughs> so, accept the basis in which you're made, men. This is us. This is our base nature, right? And we've got to accept that. Solomon established himself. He began that by accepting the truth about himself as a man. 
by looking at the reality of things. And only then are you ever going to start to, to grow up and deal with things. Malehood is the beginning. The next stage we would call boyhood. Now, boyhood is okay. It can be a, a natural phase, you know, that you go through. But it, it's characterized by the same thing. Not taking responsibility in life. That's fine. Kids play games. That's okay. It's the adults we're talking about. <laughs> right? You need to come through boyhood. And there's a sense in which there's a little bit of a boy in us all the time. And there's one sense in which that's okay. Go play football or whatever or Xbox, you know. No problem. But when that becomes part of who you are, then you really do have a problem. You need to move on. You need to move through boyhood. There was a time when I played snooker all the time, man. All the time. I loved snooker. But once I got enthralled in the things of God, it lost its appeal. I'm just telling you the truth. It lost its appeal to me. But men do like to play games. And that goes from emotional games to Xbox. Because they're shirking their responsibility and hiding in that sort of world, and that is not right. What do I mean by emotional games? Well, a man doesn't want to take the responsibility. Say I have, Jeanette and I have got a little bit of a system going. <laughs> so, if something goes wrong, if I've got to be in my bonnet or she's got to be in her bonnet, so let's say she's sitting there right now with a problem with something I've done. Are you? Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We'll carry on then. Let's say she's sitting there. She will not come to me today. She's not going to come to me at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning saying, I've got a problem with something you've done. Why? Because I've got to get up here and do my ministry right. Because that would just upset the apple cart. It wouldn't be wise. So she'll hold off. And I would never dream of bringing something to her now. We'll wait until Monday morning. And then we'll call a council meeting. Amen. <laughs> at the proper time, in the proper place, put your armor on. Get the grace of God upon you. Go to your husband, to your wife, to say, there's a problem I want to bring that we need to solve. Do you know what men do instead of doing that? Play stupid games. Go and sulk for six months. Go and not talk. Boyhood. Behaving like a boy, like an immature boy who still only knows how to sort things out with stupid games. We need to come past that. We need to come out of malehood. And become the fathers we're called to be. We need to come out of boyhood. Put the games away. Put the emotional games away. We need to come out of boyhood and grow up. There are many things in life that just simply are not going to happen until we do. So boys can be seen in all these things. They can be seen with name calling. I never appreciate people who make up names for other people. It normally has a hidden Wicked root. It normally is a way of mocking the progress in others. You know, many people go around and say, I'll call you this and I'll call you... Not often good. Not often good. Normally that is being made by a person who doesn't want to change. They don't want to move. And so the way they deal with it is everybody who's changing, they make a nickname up for them. You with me? They, I've seen it again and again and again. Or making nicknames up for leaders. That's a terrible thing when you see people do that. And I've seen that first hand that's a boy you go to any playground and the bully who fears someone in that playground what's the first thing the bully will do make up nicknames make up nicknames for the boy that he fears the most maybe because he's brighter maybe because he's more gregarious or whatever 
He'll have a motive, a hidden motive behind it that he can't cope with the strength in another and the only way to deal with it is a nickname, name calling. It's just one of the hallmarks. You get it sometimes in marriages, but you get it a lot just with men full stop. There's a place for boyhood. Okay, okay, even all through life. I want to go and have a game of snooker, I'll go and have a game of snooker. No problem. But the, the, the problem becomes when you get stuck in that phase of life and it becomes almost like a way of life. So the wisdom given in Proverbs guides us away from these things, brings us on, beckons us into change and to growth. Men, we, we're all going to begin with malehood. Okay? That's life. Accept it as Solomon did. We all should come through boyhood, but there's a time to leave that and to move on. And you move on ultimately to God's goal, which is manhood. Manhood is a, is a good thing. It's our calling. What characterizes that? Many things. And we won't look at it fully today. We'll cover it in, over the weeks to come. But you can tell a man because I think not complaining about the situation is a very good way of telling the men from the boys. A man won't complain and complain and complain about how bad things are, but actually do something about it. When we first got married, we had no money, and we're pretty clean. We keep our home clean. But this place we lived in at first, you couldn't keep clean. The ceilings were coming in. We had no money. The carpets were filthy, but they were carpets. Underneath that, you didn't want to take the carpets up. We had nothing. We couldn't change it instantly. But the church wanted to have a cell group in our house, and we said yes. We didn't want to say no, but it was kind of embarrassing, the state of the place. So we have the cell group, and there was this one woman. Oh, she was ignorant, cruel and ignorant. And I wasn't there. Probably a good job I wasn't there. But she said to Jeanette outside, your house is a pigsty. She lived in a palace. They had loads of money around the corner, you know, very close to the house. She said, your house is a pigsty. And Jeanette was a little bit hurt. She just said to me, oh, is there anything we can do? And there was, I don't know, this place was just falling apart. And we couldn't get it clean if you tried. But I remember that night... And I remember like a, a righteous indignation coming into me. I said, you know what, Jeanette? <laughs> the house is not great, but I'll tell you this. We're not staying here. We're not staying here. What's the point in complaining about it? Right? As a boy, a man will change the situation. Amen. Amen. Start to get a vision. Start to pray about it. Start to make a plan. Something, the washing machine's broken down. Complain. No, go and fix it. Go and get the thing sorted out. That's your job. But boys tend to get stuck in that, you know, complaining mode. And that's not your role. You need to be bigger than that. You need to get a vision for yourself, for your family, for your home. And nothing should stop you from getting that. What is your vision? Hey, guys, what's your vision? What's your, don't tell me you haven't got one. Go back into your closet and get one. And quit using the past and our upbringing and every, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry thing as an excuse for why we can't get a vision. You know? What you, you know, where are you going in life? And people give you all sorts of reasons why they can't do things. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. God's interested in you. God's interested in you. Interested in your future. And he has a plan for you, but you've got to go get it. I could give excuses why I can't follow God. I was brought up in a war zone. It was an awful childhood. It was really traumatic. You know, bang, 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 and night after night. I mean, you would be terrified. And you get skitty when we would be like kids and you'd be walking home. There was car bombs all the time in those days. 
And I remember my brother once coming in, and I was nervy through those years. My brother Gerald came in one night, and he said, I, I, I don't even like walking past a car anymore. And I thought, that's exactly what I'm like. I'm nervy in this city. It was a dreadful time, you know, in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. And many people go off their head with that. I could use that as, as an excuse. Say, I can't follow God. I had a bad upbringing, you know, it was tough. Or one, one of the teachers, when I was in school, used to take me in a room and pull my trousers down. Sorry, but he did. Not just me, several boys, as I found out later. And that happened to me about eight, nine times, where that one teacher would say, McKeever, come here, and he'd take me into this room and, you know, ah, oh, that's me then. I'm not going to make anything of my life, am I? Not after that. You can't say that. And I remember when I got saved. And everybody was, you hear people talking about molestation and this, that and the other. And they say, oh, once you've been molested, that's it, you're finished. Go and sit down, shut up. Your life's over. Excuse me, <laughs> my life's not over. I just got saved, and I? My life's just begun. Well, what effect is that going to have on you? None. Hello, none. Now, you can wreck your life with the whole thing if you want. And you can carry that like baggage for the rest of your days. But I choose not to, actually. I choose to leave it in the past. Let it go, right? And don't let it affect my present or my future. Look, no matter what happened in your past, it's past. Don't use it as an excuse to destroy your future, right? When you got saved, you were right back on track. Right back on track. Everything's back to normal. Everything's as it should be from that moment on. And anything that happens to you, it, don't let the devil tell you, you can't. You can put that stuff behind you and move on and become the person that God wants you to be. And everybody said, Amen. right? Don't let those tricks, those mind games, and don't let many preachers or pastors tell you. Now, if you've got a problem you're finding difficulty to deal with in your past, go and get counsel. Amen. But there's almost like an assumption that Christians have that because they've had problems, they're finished. Now, well, don't buy into it. Another thing about boys, boys hate men because men have got motivation, they've got vision, they're going somewhere. Boys hate men because they want to be able to shirk. You know, Joseph is a very good example of a young man, Joseph in the Bible. A very good example of a young man surrounded by older boys, his brothers, who couldn't cope with the fact that this young man has a vision has heard from God, has sought the Lord, has, has found a dream, he knows where he's going. And because they couldn't cope with that, they wanted him dead. Boys hate men. They hate being around men because men challenge them. And that's where you get conflict again often in churches. There's many things that you can see even in yourself. You assess yourself, guys. Boyhood needs to go. And we need to enter into manhood. A man will not complain about things. Anybody can do that. A man will go and get it sorted out. Go and make, find the answer. Go to God and get an answer for your circumstance. He will be bringing vision to his home, to his family, to his own life first. Amen. And to his home, to his family, to the church, wherever. And you need to take responsibility financially. Now, these are tough times financially, right? Very, very, very tough times. But I love that. We've been praying about Goshen, you know, when the, when the plagues came on Egypt. A wonderful little line. It's just a little, you know, line you could overlook. It says, but when all the plagues of darkness and everything else were falling, there was one place called Goshen. 
and it says, but light always remained on Goshen. No matter what happened, Goshen was safe because that's where God's people were. Praise the Lord. So you can be a Goshen, even in these rough times. Men, what's your plan? What's your, even financially, for instance, what's your investment plan? You don't need to have much money. I know it's crisis time. I know the stock market's got a terrible reputation. But you could look at, you know, what they call BRIC, the emerging markets. There's Brazil, Russia, India, and China. They call it BRIC. It's the four fastest growing economies in the world. This is largely what they call the emerging market. Now, you can put a 500 quid, save up 500 quid and put it in the stock market. Put it in the stock market? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near the stock market after the last few months. I know, don't panic. Don't overreact. Act. There's still emerging markets out there and they're very differently run from the American one was. You can put 500 quid in the stock market and say something like telecoms in China, telecoms in Brazil, where these things are rocketing, rocketing, rocketing. You can do that. You put 500 quid in shares in there, you probably get two or three grand back in three, four years. It's good, isn't it? Men need to think about that, amen. That's your job. It's to lead your home, to be think even in these dark days, to be taking the lead for your family. Even just start small, but start, do something. Inside changes and outside changes, practical changes, spiritual changes. Seek them, don't complain about them. It's a hallmark of a man. A boy will sit and complain, 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 complain. But the man will take action. Next step, husbandhood. Now, any husband is clearly categorized by being the leader, the provider, the protector of his wife. But there's so much in this. Again, we're going to take a whole week and, and take some time out of it. The husband is described as the what? The head. Now, what does a head do? It looks, it sees, it's got vision. It hears, right? Prophetically, hears from God. It smells. It's got discernment of right and wrong, the right direction, the wrong direction, right? A head thinks. It's able to think for the family, think ahead, right? It does all the, it speaks. Gives guidance, gives instruction, gives comfort, gives love. That's the head. The husband, the man, is the head. He is to be the head. So, hey girls, I hope you're listening. Don't marry an empty head, right? <laughs> Any guy you marry needs to be able to see, right? He needs to be able to hear. Any guy you marry should smell. What? <laughs> should be able to smell. <laughs> should be able to discern. Should be able to think clearly. Listen, if he can't lead himself, He's not going to be leading you. This, the, the one essential thing I would say about husbandhood is this. Listening, girls, <laughs> you better only marry a man who's passed through manhood. Because in manhood, he's learned to lead himself. Because if he can't lead himself, he ain't going to be leading you. Amen? He's not going to lead you anywhere. So forget about the romantic side of this, the very practical side of this too. Or you're going to be one very frustrated individual. Because you're going to try and lead him. That's what happened to Eve, wasn't it? Adam wasn't doing his job. Adam, you know, was, was, was put to shame because he couldn't handle Eve's strength. Right? It was his weakness with her strength. She got frustrated, so she goes to talk to the devil. Because he wasn't doing his job. So she sought to take the lead. No good. 
Don't marry an empty head. The man needs to first of all be able to lead his own life, to lead himself. Girls, you need to look for that. Make no apology for it. Look for him. He should be able to, 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 you know, to, to lead himself spiritually, practically. These are just very simple things, aren't they? But they're true. And failure to, 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 to see them and put them into operation can cause you a lifetime of grief. There's some things that are dependent upon maturity. Actually, prosperity is one of them. Financial prosperity, that's the one that God gives is good prosperity, bad prosperity, the devil's prosperity, and God's prosperity. God's prosperity, that type, the good success is dependent upon maturity. And in 3 John, I think it is, where he's, John says this, I wish above everything else that you would prosper. And the term there is a financial term. I wish above everything else that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. In other words, even as you mature. As you mature, I pray God blesses you. But if you don't mature, hey, you can't handle it anyway. Are you with me? So men... If you're hoping to prosper, you're hoping to develop your family, lead your home, etc., you need to mature in order to prosper. In another part, it says that each person would be blessed, and this is not just finances, but in every area, each person would be blessed according to their ability to handle it. So maturity is a key issue. We need to grow up, right? We need to grow up and take the lead. Today is very simple. It's about the centrality of men, okay? This is biblical wisdom. We need to follow it. Bring ourselves back in line with God. Solomon ends up in fatherhood. And fatherhood is very easy to characterize, as painful as it might be. You know, in one place in the Bible, Jesus is called our father. And it's not to be confused with God the Father, of course. But it's talking about him as being fatherly in nature. That Jesus is fatherly and he can cover you, care for you. And so every man should be. The ultimate end, the ultimate goal for you, men, is that God would turn you into a fatherly type Christian. A man who is able to love. And that's not easy. The New Testament, I love it for its honesty about the dangers and the pains of fatherhood. There's only one big example in there. And it's the prodigal son. And I, I like just the, the, the sheer truth of it. Because being a dad is not easy. Being a father and raising children, especially in our day, is not easy. And it's confusing. It can be a very confusing business. You can tell a father, a proper one, a biblical one, by the compassion in them and the action in them. I would even say by compassion in action within their children. But just, just pay attention a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of the prodigal son's father. Because <laughs> that's what the Bible wants us to do. What can you learn? Well, you've got one good child and one bad child. One child that feelings of love pour out from you too because he's so good. And the other one, you don't get any feelings of love at all. Huh, that's confusing. Am I compassionate equally both ways, Lord? That's fatherhood. Fatherhood's an internal challenge. You see, you don't feel, love is not a feeling. Though love can be felt. Love is not a feeling. But you can't feel it. Two completely different things. And just because that father didn't feel too much love because this boy is so bad, doesn't mean he's not loving him. They took very different types of handling. One son was kept at home. His love and the way of expressing it to the other son was what? Let him go. I got to let him go. It's my role. It's my responsibility. 
as a father. It's called tough love. When I grew up, my dad didn't spare the rod. I thank God for that. I thank, you know why? Because I'm not spoiled. I'm not spoiled. Spoiled people are miserable, unhappy, because their fathers never disciplined them. And being a dad in this setting, in this world, is very tough, confusing. Am I compassionate or not? Well, the truth is love takes different forms. And God is blunt with you. Some of your kids will be good. Some of them will be bad. Some of them you'll have to, you know, even let them go and go and do their own things. Others you can pull close. Such is fatherhood. Very difficult. Even, you know, it's a crucifixion in terms. Over the next few weeks, next week we're going to look just at womanhood. And all the challenges that you have, ladies, in this day and age. And we'll look at families and finances and everything in the weeks to come. But to begin with, I just want to put one challenge out particularly to the men. Are we? Are we male? Are you still just a male? Are you a boy? Are you a man? And if you're a husband, what sort? And if you're a father, what sort? I praise the Lord, guys. All the instruction is right in our hands. It's right there to guide us like a navigation tool through the best and the worst of all circumstances and still stay on top. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Ask God to soak these things into our hearts. Just stay there, Chris. Thank you, Lord. Father... I pray that you would open us up over these next months to change us and mold us into what you want us to be. Forgive us for childish ways, for boyish ways. And Lord, particularly as a church, we pray for our men. Would you bless them? Would you mature them in every way that they need to be? And God, we all need to move every single... There's not one exception in this or any other church. So we're all in this together. No matter where we find ourselves, just we ask for the grace this morning to help us to move on, that's all. And Lord, those who are male and only male, would you inspire them with hope that they can move? Those that are boyish, thank you for childhood and thank you for the games and the enjoyment of it. But God, help us to move on today. For the husbands and the fathers, God, grace them and bless them to be able to carry that through life and we commit ourselves to you for growth, 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 and more growth. In Jesus' name we pray.